and welcome to another episode of the Yo DMB Raps podcast. Today we've got a very special guest all the way up from Saltburn on Sea. Is that Saltburn right? Saltburn by the sea. Saltburn by sea. It's Liam Laverick, aka Lemmy Dubs. Liam, how you doing, mate? You're right. I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Sun is shining today, and uh, I've got the brand new dirt box basketball wow. jerseys on. These will be going on sale very soon. Check that out. <laughs> Looking good. Looking like good. Uh, yeah. You're in your nice designer clobber. You wearing this just for me today, Liam? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Don't don't expose it. Yeah. <laughs> well listen mate thank you very much for your time today um i've been really looking forward to getting this on with you doing the interview and having a chat about what's going on in the lemmy dubs world oh yeah i've been excited man it's been a it's been a while since i've done anything like this and um i think it's going to be exciting we've got a lot of topics to talk about haven't we <laughs> yeah yeah we did a little bit of prep before the show just to kind of see where we're going to go with this and yeah I'm, I'm really excited to talk about some of these things today so i'm going to get straight into one question that i've been yeah. wanting to ask you for ages what the fuck is a lemmy dubs <laughs> is it is it i'm going to hazard a guess here is it like lemmy winks off south park with a gerbil that goes up alice at uh, paris hilton's arsehole so, <laughs> do you know, what's his face? Um, Blackley thought the same thing. And it actually, is. it's now it's now to do with South Park. So, oh, like, a... I unfortunately not know. But, like, I, I totally some... get why. <laughs> I, I thought this was some weird fetish of yours that you wanted to crawl up Paris Hilton's backside <laughs> or something like that. So, you actually focused your whole DJ career on it. <laughs> do we end it now? Because you've exposed me. Should we just end it now? Could it... No, 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 no. But, um, no, so... Uh, basically where the name came from like when i was um when i was a kid um maybe like 10 11 years old i used to do a chant and the chant just went like this it was lem lem two nine ten you know meant nothing <laughs> but it rolled off the tongue but anyways like um lem two nine ten became lemmy and then my friends caught on to it in school and then like even when i was playing games my name would always be lemmy two nine ten and then um that's just kind of just stuck with me. And then um, I remember when I first started getting into um, like making dubstep and stuff like that. At first it was DJ Lemmy. But then I had a conversation with one of my good friends uh, called Skint Disco. And he was just like, oh, DJ Lemmy sounds a bit like too, I don't know, it doesn't really fit dubstep um, at, like, at the time. And I was like, okay, I get that, I get that. So then it was just a bit, it was just kind of just a basic switcheroo of the names. And I was just like, oh, well, let me dubs make sense. So it's just, yeah. Oh, sorry, but I was just going to say like, um, but yeah, like Lemmy is a nickname that I, I still get called today. So it's just something I thought wouldn't actually fit into a DJ name. <laughs> there, there is other famous Lemmys as well. There's Lemmy from Motorhead as well, isn't there? The singer. There is. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's definitely following a good musical path then. I guess Paris Hilton's a DJ as well. You could say that True. now. So there's a lot of relevance to that. Let's just hope you don't want to be climbing up her arsehole. Though. That's, no. uh, that's the one we want to avoid. There is a lot of interesting history behind the Lemmys. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I see you're a bit of a collector as well in the background there. We've got some uh, Funkos and things like that. Is, is yeah, that all man. your collection? Are you well into those things? Yeah, like I, I was more into it back in college, but like I still get a few, few things now and again. But there's just loads of nostalgic stuff up there from when I was a kid. So like, 
there's all my bionicles up there i've kept them all because i'll never get rid of them <laughs> and um there's you know a few Funko pops like you say there's a left for dead boomer up there some halo stuff yeah just a few items up there that yeah. i'll probably never get rid of <laughs> fair play mate I, I i don't know if you've noticed i'm a bit of a collector as well so i was gonna yeah. say to be fair you have got <laughs> amount of shoes let's, in the background. Uh, let's address the elephant in the room shall we but now there's a few funko yeah. pops there but they're not um i wouldn't say they're massively rare they're just things that meant a lot to me as a child so i've got he-man I've yeah that man i've got marty mcfly and nice. i've got my favorite basketballer sean kemp from when i, I was love that kid. that's class I love that you you were doing uh what everyone should be doing with them funko pops and keeping them in the box as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't gonna play with them, am I? So <laughs> no, I just I, when, when I've been around other people's houses before, I've seen like people like with them out the box, and I'm just like, oh no, the value it's gone in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think if you get if you double up on them though, I think it's okay to maybe have one out, one in, because I do that with some shoes. I've got some shoes still box. I've got double pairs of the shoes and things like that. So yeah, just, uh, I think when you get a double, it's okay to do that. Generally, yeah, that's true. I guess that's true. <laughs> So let, let's talk about where you're from then, Liam. So you're all the way from Middlesbrough originally then. What was it like growing up in Middlesbrough then as a young child? Well, it was it was it was good. Like, I mean, I'll be honest, I was I was born in Middlesbrough, but then for about two years of my childhood I lived somewhere called Carlinau, which is like another kind of small seaside town near Saltburn. But then after them two years, um me and our mum then moved to uh, Salt there, Saltburn, and then pretty much after that two years, then we've lived here all our lives. Like I had a bit of a hiatus when I went to Leeds for a year, but apart from that, Saltburn's just been the home, and, it, and it's lovely growing up around here. There's like there's so many lovely walks you can go on, um, especially for getting samples and that when I'm on the walks, <laughs> and um, it's just. I don't know. It just seems like one of them places where you you just you, it proper feels homely and it proper feels safe, sort of thing. Okay, and that's why you probably moved to like Saltburn just for the more visual, then I guess outside of the city. Yeah. See what I what I thought when I um, lived in Leeds was so when I moved back here, it was like I like knowing that Saltburn's going to be my home base when I'm going to all these <laughs> places. Um, so, like, rather than living in Leeds and visiting Saltburn, I'd much rather it be the other way around every time. So it's, like, nice doing these, like, gigs or um, going to see people, doing these long-distance travels, knowing that I'm coming back here sort of thing. Mm. So, yeah, very much home. <laughs> Are you in Saltburn on your on your own, then? Are your family back in Middlesbrough, or did you all move over to that area? So I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, um, I live with uh, our mum currently, and... Um, I live with my two brothers as well, so that they're upstairs. I'm in here, and yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's a lovely family like environment sort of thing. Like we all bounce off each other. All of us are pottering about providing in the house and that. It's, I've, yeah, I love, I love it here, man. I really do. Count my count my lucky stars. <laughs> so you you've got a very good family dynamic then, haven't you? So you got two siblings as well. Um, yeah, are you, are you the youngest, or where do you fit into? No, that? I'm the oldest. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're looking up to you a little bit then. Yeah, I, I guess like like um, especially in like the past two years, my brothers they were never really into like heavy bass music and stuff like that. 
Um, but I think when them two started going to like more festivals and obviously drum and bass being quite popular, drum and bass, you can hear it at pretty much any festival nowadays. So they went and go went to go like check it out because of just hearing it constantly coming out of my bedroom. And I think being hearing it constantly coming out of my bedroom and then going to these festivals, they've slowly like attuned to it. So yeah, yeah it's nice to say I love it. <laughs> As as your mom or your or your siblings, have they questioned your name as well, like I have? <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, because um, like I say, Lemmy Two Nine Ten was some I used to chant when I was like when I was a baby. So our mums, like even our mum and uh, my brothers, have called me Lemmy as I've grown up as well. Liam's just kind of like formalities or when I'm being told off. <laughs> yeah. it's only when liam gets used now <laughs> yeah so it, it stuck them really for you it made made perfect sense to use it as a name didn't it yeah like, totally what do they think of the music then your uh your siblings and your and your mom so um it for at first it was like it's just like the stereotypicals of just like oh this is just noise why aren't you making i don't know like house or something like that and i was just i was just like it's just i don't know because my friends used to do it as well, like come in and say like, oh, you should be making big room and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't want to. I want to make all these horrible noises. And at first they were like, they just, just didn't get it, which is understandable. It is very obnoxious music. Um, but like I say, as years gone by and they seen me like doing things because of it, um, I think there was like then that greater appreciation for it. However, though, it is still, how mum always says, as much as I totally get it now, it is so annoying when I'm listening to you, listening to like a two bar loop for about like an hour. And I'm like, sorry about that. I know, but it needs to be done. I need to get these snares right. Oh, I know that feeling. I had a similar dynamic when I was growing up. I lived with my mom and dad and my younger sister. And um, yeah. I shared a bedroom with my sister up until I'd say, I'd say it was about. 13 14 and then what i decided to do is to move to my grandparents it was only like 10 doors away on the yeah. same street but when i was at my grandparents i had two bedrooms all to myself they were yeah. a bit older so they're a bit harder hearing and that yeah. was about the time that i got into djing as well so i was constantly just 12 hours a day just mixing and playing tunes and i never <laughs> never got told off because they couldn't really hear it <laughs> yeah but yeah they, you know they were very supportive of it but like my mom and dad didn't have to put up with that thankfully for them no <laughs> totally it's one of them ones isn't it where like when you get that sort of appreciation from your family and stuff like that it does feel good but i think i think you you would know this way i think with myself i do have that self-awareness where like as much as i do love this i also know that it is pretty annoying for the outside person listening to these raggy noises so i do get it but hopefully you can get it on my my end too like <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's, yeah. The, that's the hard bit isn't it trying to convince them to see your side of it really so yeah, yeah. but it's it's sound now it's all right <laughs> so they are you, you, you they are quite supportive of your music career than your family they're, they're yeah. really you're on it nowadays totally man like um like 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 um i've, I've said before um that one of my first like big experiences um with my family supporting me was when i had my first gig when I was um, 16 and I had a gig in Birmingham and um, I got booked down there. And obviously with me, well, one being my first gig and two, not having a clue how bookings worked. I was just like, someone wants to book me. I need to get down there. 
doesn't matter how sort of thing. So I remember just going up to our mum and was like, Mum, can you drive me to Birmingham, please? Oh, dear. <laughs> and she was like, why? And she was like, oh, I've got an opportunity to play a gig. And normally, like, your parents would be like, absolutely not. But she she was kind of like, do you know what? If it's a big opportunity, well, God, you want to bring your friends and brought my friends down. And um, it was good. It The lineup was um, it was quite nice at the time as well. It was like... Um, it was like Shivers and the Aliens UK and stuff like that. Loads of cool, like, dubstar, dubstep artists. And, um, yeah, but the, our poor man, bless her, she, um, she slept in the car park outside and waited for me to finish my set. <laughs> and I, fair play to oh, So, like, honestly, fair play to her. She is, like, dead supportive. <laughs> you were, what year was that, then, when you was up here in Birmingham for the first time? Oh, let's uh, do some mental maths here. Uh, 16. It would have been around 2013, 2014. Oh, right. Okay. So quite early on then. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in Birmingham then. Yeah. So I'm, I'm obviously living in Birmingham. I moved here about 2005 when I moved to Birmingham, 2006. But, um, what, what night was it that you played for? It was, um, it was, I remember the venue. It was, um, Suki Tennessee. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Dave, Dave Whittle, Boogie Dave. Shout out to Dave if you're watching. Yeah, shout Dave. Out Dave. <laughs> I, um, I actually saw Dave, um, when I played at the Amalki gig last week in Sutton Coalfield on the outskirts of Birmingham. So, uh, no, no way. Was it a pure dubstep night or drum and bass night? What was it? Um, so the, the first night I played that for that was um a mixture of it was jump up and dubstep but it was primarily dubstep uh, but then i remember he got me down for a second night because of that night and that one was uh purely just dubstep um but it was all like it was all like like uk rhythm djs and like at the time like i mean i still love it now but at the time i was well into it and seeing them djs live like when i was like 16 going on 17 and then playing amongst it as well was absolutely mad to be fair at the time <laughs> but yeah no like you say mate shout out boogie dave it's been a while <laughs> yeah 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 I, like i say i've seen him last friday um unfortunately he lost um he had a big venue last year called the t-works a big outdoor venue but unfortunately they've lost that now but thankfully oh. suxton steer is still going still going strong and uh, good i'm happy to hear that i love that venue to be fair he smashed it inside it looks yeah. really good <laughs> when it's when it's full it's absolutely banging in there isn't it absolutely the it is yeah <laughs> so just going back a little bit again then before we get on to talking about the gigs um obviously you mentioned that before your move to saltburn you started uni is that right or was that after you'd moved to saltburn uh, pardon me um yeah i um moved to leeds for uni in it would have been 2017 um and i lived there for about just over a year um, but un- unfortunately, I did my first year at uni there, but then I didn't complete it and then came back to Teesside and then finished off my degree there. However, though, that one year in Leeds, like I met a-, a lot of people and I got a lot of opportunities there. Like I moved, I didn't go into halls. I moved straight in with um, some people that I knew and um, they they were like my friends, but they also at the time were like kind of like, my management too like early days and that so like being in the same house together we got like quite a few things done and a lot um they gave me my first international shows in there as well 
So, yeah, I've got a lot to thank for those housemates in Leeds, to be honest, and everyone that I met there too. Um, as much as it was hard, I'm glad I'm glad I did it for all them, like, contacts and experiences. Really, still, really good. Are you still studying the same thing as when you started as well? Oh, I've um, I've finished uni now. I got my oh, grades, God. like, last year. I um, got first. <laughs> well done, mate. What were you studying? I was just doing music tech. Music tech. And was that... Yeah. Was the purpose of that to obviously get yourself up in in the dubstep and drum and bass scene? Was it was it having a focus to have a career in doing this stuff? What you're doing now, or has that led to this? How did it go? So, um, not not really, to be honest. Strangely, the reason I got into music tech was um, because I wanted to lean into different things within music. Because when I started um, university. I was I was already quite quite good at sound design. Like I could I could do a lot of things confidently. Um, I'm definitely not saying that I didn't learn it. I learned a lot at uni, um, but I was already quite capable of um, using a DAW and working my way around it. What I really wanted to get into with doing music tech was doing sound for sound for moving image and games, and um, we did a little bit of that um, at the final year and. I did all right with it. Um, I got a first with my game audio. Um, but, yeah, I, I still need to try and get something sorted with that because really, ultimately, as much as I love doing this, I love making dubstep and all that, the the end end goal would be doing sound for moving imagery games because I, I love st- doing stuff like that. <laughs> that's, that's where the money is, Liam, as well. If, if you're doing mm. music for games, movies, TV shows, things like that, you know, yeah, you start looking at earning that Hans Zimmer money. That's what you're hundred percent. Like, I, well, who is it that told me? Like, I don't know how true this is, but in like some AAA companies, I think they pay you by the minute for OSTs. Hmm. So, like, so that's why like some of these OSTs are like thirteen minutes long. So I'm just like, oh well, yeah, I can see how once you started getting regular with that, you'd be making money. Yeah, I say hmm. all this though, like. Money's minting that, but like, I I I just love making stuff like this. <laughs> like, I was having a similar conversation with someone earlier about like transactions and that, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm not bothered about it too much, me man. I just love doing this sort of thing. Have yeah. you have you submitted any music for movies or games or anything like that yet? Um, I did. Uh, I did one that unfortunately I can't talk about. Um, but that was pretty good. It was uh for some idea that they were going to do on TikTok, but unfortunately that's all I can say on that one. Hmm. Uh um, we're still in hand, there's potentially something that's going to be happening then. Um I'm trying to think. Uh so oh no no sorry. Uh that one uh I sent them demos and unfortunately they didn't fit it. But like even even after I still can't talk about it. Yeah. But um that was still cool to do though. That was still cool to give it a go and like be amongst it a little bit. Um, but like what I've done before in the past for uni is, um, I've got like a lot of video clips of games, like gameplay videos. And then I've like remixed the sound over it. Um, and I've got a big folder of like UI sound effects that I did for uni and, um, like weapon sounds for guns and stuff like that. Um, the only thing that I wish they taught us was, um, how to use, uh, music, like sequencing software in terms of like using f modern wise because we totally missed that 
we were doing the sound design aspect for it, but we did, we weren't then taught how to implement it into a game, which is something that always annoys me about that, that course. But it's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, they, they always say that, though, don't you? When you're learning, it's never the practical of what you're actually going to need. It's kind of giving you the basics around it, isn't it? We, we've yeah. all complained about stuff at school that we never needed. Do you know what I mean? I mean, half, mm. the, math, half of the math stuff used at school, you, you never even need. Oh, totally. I can't even say it. I was going to say Pythagoras oh, theorem. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, didn't like, want to butcher it. You're going to go shopping. You're going to go down Asda, and you're going to need a Pythagoras theorem. Yeah, do this. Let me just pull up my protractor before I do this transaction. It's like <laughs> so. Talking about obviously school as well. I mean, what music were you into when you were at school? What were you listening to? What were your mates um, pushing on? So uh, in the early days, uh, I was very much into like like rid- ridiculously heavy metal. Um, like, oh, like we've all we've all had that phase, I think. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, was... I, I still do love it, but like, yeah, it's definitely been pushed into the background a bit. But I'm talking like, like grindcore and porno grind and stuff like that, and all the all that stuff. And um, oh, right. so, like, I'm trying to think of examples. Uh, there was a band that I really, really liked and still kind of liked now. Uh, called Is It Volvodnia or something like that. But they're just a I wouldn't problem. know any. I wouldn't know any grindcore names. I was actually speaking on the last interview with Besker about grindcore because we had this similar conversation in yeah. heavy metal and stuff like that. And I actually discovered grindcore um, at like some after parties, getting smashed. Somebody started yeah. putting it on, and it was a grindcore remix of "I Like to Move It, Move It." <laughs> Because I like my grindcore, grindcore. I like That's my like, grindcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that was my it. one and only experience of grindcore. I didn't really come across it when I was at school, but I did like did like heavy metal. But mine, like I, I have said this before, I went into like Guns and Roses and things like yeah. that. Yeah, Ugly Kid Joe and Green Jelly and. Oh, I get that. that. More like like indie 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 sort of rock and I I, I say yeah. I say this I don't want to say this in a condescending way, but it's like dad rock. <laughs> Yeah, Dave. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, apart no, from that, then, what other kind of experiences do you have in music before you stu- before you came on to dubstep? Was there any others? Um, so in school, I um I played the drums quite a lot, and I I still can uh, play the drums quite well. And um, but yeah, in school, I used to I used to sit in that music practice room and just drum and drum and drum after school, and um, because they'd never let me in there during the day, because obviously lessons and then paperwork they didn't want me disturbing them <laughs> so it was always after school they'd let me go on the drums and then um i used to uh i say yeah i'm saying used to a lot i still can like i played it played a keyboard um at school as well um so oh and um again <laughs> in school and uh leading into college as well um i used to enter a lot of talent shows because i can beatbox so i used to do uh, beatboxing and stuff in school as well so like yeah. music is something that's like kind of always been there. Um, it was just, you know, making that transitional leap into kind of making it in DAWs and stuff like that. So it's always been there with me, yeah. <laughs> Drop a beatbox for us, Liam. Let's see what you got. Oh, let's see if the mic quality will allow it. Hang on. <laughs> Let me see if I can think of something. Put me on the spot now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me think. Oh, 
Oh, it's not. It's not coming through. It's not coming through. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, just just for the viewers at home, there was some absolute fire coming out there. <laughs> all we all we saw just then was. That's all I mean, we could see. Good thumbnails, maybe. <laughs> yeah, good thumbnails for it. But fun, funny, you should mention that. I mean, I, I've had a lot. Of, I've had a lot of experience in and around beatboxes. This is where we got the dirt box name from. Nice you know, for the label. So um, back in. Back in 2010, we were running an event called Raw. We still do run an event called Raw in Birmingham. And uh, we booked Reaps One, world champion yeah. beatboxer. And he, the, yeah. he turned up to one of the events with his DJ, Captain Crunch, who does all the mm. beat juggling, plays dubstep and drum and bass. And yeah. they did um, they did a bit of a live show, uh, which was him beatboxing to the DJ. And they were like mixing into each other, the DJ uh. and the beatboxer. And I was like, that's fucking good, that. I want to do that. Yeah. And, and at the time, he wasn't really pushing it. It was just something he did for a couple of gigs that he turned up with. Yeah. And um, I somehow got in touch with a, just randomly around the same time, got in touch with a beatboxer called Grim from Birmingham. And yeah. um, we started doing that exact same thing at Raw. So there's a few nice. sets of me and him doing the, the drum and bass dubstep. He beatboxes, I mix in, scratch over it and stuff like that. I and um that. Yeah, it was like for, yeah. for us, it was like it was something different because there was there's so many fucking drum and bass DJs in Birmingham and around the UK yeah. and around the world. We needed something a bit different, and we we progressed it. We got better at it. Um, I actually ended up with a different beatboxer, and oh. how it all ended up was it was me DJing and doing live music. There was a beatboxer. Yeah. We had an MC, and on some occasions we had a drummer as well. So we nice. kind of created this whole live show called Dirtbox Live, and that's Love what that, that was. Yeah. Um, we toured around. We played in America. We played in Poland, Czech Republic. It, we got we got really good with it, and it kind of yeah. helped me to make a name. And I kind of moved away from the Lee UHF a little bit, and obviously yeah. started doing this. And then obviously this is where the name for the label came in, and we mm. still are a group. But generally, it's very hard to get everyone together. You know, yeah. I mean, do something. So it's the standards with having a band, isn't it? Yeah, everyone's yeah. on different schedules and all that. Yeah, that's it. So like around two thousand, around twenty twenty, it, it kind of fizzled out. I started doing more yeah. gigs on my own. Do you know what I mean? Mm, and totally. I like, you know, relying on other people to do it. I speak to the I speak to the beatboxer a lot, like Lee. Yeah. Um, there's another Lee as well. And uh, yeah, we keep in touch, but he's got a family in that now like I have. And totally, man. I kind of stopped doing it. It sometimes happens. I think you, you see it a lot with groups that, I mean, especially now with like some of the drum and bass groups breaking up that I think people do. Well, it's I think it's a factor of, you know, life developments with people. And then I feel like with some, but not all people, some people do naturally reach that point where they want to show themselves, isn't it, sort of thing. Not yeah. in a selfish sense, but it's like, okay, we've had a great time, but I kind of want to show people what I can do too, sort of thing. And I yeah, think it's, it's a combination yeah, of both, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I'd definitely do it again, but there's a lot of work yeah. that goes into you know, having a drummer, a beatboxer, and yeah. a DJ together, it's, it is a lot of work. And we were getting too many gigs and kind of, you know what I mean? You can't prep yeah. all these gigs. Not everyone can show up. So we should have really done it a bit more sparse than what totally. we Totally. You know I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not like a DJ gig, is it, man? With a DJ gig, you turn up with your headphones and USBs and you saw it. Where is that? You're going to have to bring a whole van full of equipment. And when you're getting okay. consistent gigs like that, I can imagine it getting bloody tiring, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of rough ones when we didn't get to sound check and, and things like that. So, yeah. 
yeah, it kind of, kind of fizzled out of that. So obviously, anybody watching today, uh, if you if you know any good beatboxers, put the link in the comments. Let's have a look at what you've got. Let's see your own actions. And another thing as well, has anybody else heard of grindcore? So if you're listening to grindcore music, put me some links to some good grindcore in the comments because I'd say my only experience is it has been that I like to move it bootleg. Of, the more uh, horrible, know. the better as well. Yeah, get them in the comments below. <laughs> So we've touched on some of your DJing and the first time you played in Birmingham. You've done plenty of gigs from what I can see. A lot of travelling as well, especially in Belgium for places like uh, Skank and Bass, Invaders and Critical. Tell me a little bit about these gigs. Yeah, so like um, I'll I'll tell you about, um, well, the first Belgium gig I got was um, for, it was for um, a a couple guys, uh, I think the brand was called Nemesis, that was it. And um we did um, a reload takeover because at the time I uh, with my housemates in Leeds, they owned a label called Reload Records. Um, so we did a takeover over there. And honestly, like it was it was for, for for something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. It was surreal finally going over there and performing. Um, however, though, that like that was like the first time when I started getting those gigs you mentioned, like for Invaders, Criticals and Skank and Bass, that's when it was like really settling in with me where I'm like, okay, this is, these are some big brands now and it's mad that I'm going out to, to play for them. Um, like the, one of my most fondest memories was um, Invaders 2017 to 2018 um, for New Year's Eve. And uh, I was in the second room for that. And that was the first time I dropped um, my track Aeon, which I think in my discography, like, I think that's my most popular popular track, like, as of today. Um, but to drop that for the first time, not knowing what sort of, you know, positive repercussions it was going to have, it was it was surreal. I think the video is still on Facebook when I dropped, dropped it for the first time. And, yeah, it's a really fond memory I have of that because that was... I think that video, watching it back, when I watch it back, I was like, that's when things kicked off that, from that video. It's a nice memory. Um, Criticals, uh, I think that was the first time I played in Belgium for, like I say, like in a, like established brands. And um, that was a really, really good gig as well. That um, I can't remember if it, no, I didn't play back to back. Yeah, I have a really cool photo from that one because I always, at the time, I just really wanted to like kind of cross off loads of DJ bucket lists and, um, um, and then Skank and Bass. However, uh, that was a really good gig, but that was one of, that was the gig where I also decided not to drink <laughs> as much anymore uh, because a lot of funny things happened at that event. I got very drunk. And uh, I think some people stole my shoes. Some people put ice in my shoes. There's stereotypical drawings everywhere on my face. Um, and that was that was a night to remember for a lot of right and wrong reasons. <laughs> oh, we've had a few of those, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you liking touring? Do you generally like doing it, getting abroad? I do. Uh, how, 
however, though, where I live, Saltburn, Middlesbrough sort of ways, it is an absolute nightmare for promoters to get me out of there. Like, um, so, like, for example, you you living in Birmingham, I could imagine it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's a lot easier to book a train, oh, book yeah, somewhere sure. to the airport sort of thing, because you're in a city, whereas where promoters booking stuff for me, uh, for me here, it's just expensive, and it's, um, it also gives me loads of, like, changes and stuff like that. It's an absolute nightmare to get to these yeah. gigs, but I, I say that, I, I don't mind, because I kind of like the whole commute about it. It's it's exciting. It's a, it's an adventure sort of thing. Yeah, I've always said that. I mean, I, there, there's a lot of stress in getting to the airport, and yeah, and you're right. Living in Birmingham, it's it's uh, it's definitely a lot easier. I mean, I can get two trains to Paris <laughs> from where yeah. I live, literally just outside. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I'm I, I find I find traveling and flying to a gig, I find it very therapeutic. Uh, yeah. Once I've got through security, like everything just simmers down for me, like. Everything yeah. like, and I, I get excited. I get, I'm on the I'm on the flight. Got my laptop. Get record yeah. box open. Get get uh, Ableton open on my laptop. Gin and tonic. Yes. A couple <laughs> of nice cookies and oh mate, I'm in my element in flying. I love I love that part of it. But yeah, yeah. you're right. It's definitely the leave the house, get to the airport, get through security. Once that bit is done, yeah, I'm all over it. I'm all over totally. it. I, I, I would definitely say that flying for a gig, I prefer playing abroad than I do playing in the UK. 100%. Yeah, same. I absolutely agree with that, 100%. Like, I, I agree with the other half as well because I get I get quite anxious with travelling. As much as I say mm. it's an adventure and stuff like that, it does make me quite anxious sometimes. Um, to the point, it's a positive and a negative, though, because because of me feeling like that sometimes, it makes me get to places ridiculously early which is a detriment of mine sometimes because I'll be sat there and be like, right, well, I'm here now and I've got three hours to kill. <laughs> but I think it is a positive as well I'm, I, I, because I, I kind of make sure I'm never late now. Never, yeah. never late. It's, I've never been late before, but I think it's literally because of that. <laughs> well, for me, between 2010 and 2019, I missed 16 flights. And that's out of around... I think that's around about 60. So I missed 16 out of 60 flights across those, oh across that time. So yeah, that's, and, and, and you'd think it was being late. I, I can't lie. Maybe a couple of them were definitely late, but the reason they were yeah. late, is that I've got some crazy excuses. Car broke down on the motorway and we had to run down the motorway, leaving the car to get to the airport to catch the oh flight. Oh my days. <laughs> we, we went to the wrong airport. In the middle of the oh. night, my mate was driving and he took us to Luton instead of Stansted. So we've done oh. that before. Um, I was rushing out the house, fell down the stairs and sprained my ankle. That's one yeah. reason that I've done oh, that. Nightmare. To get to the taxi. Um, <laughs> I fell asleep at the airport, missed the flight. I've oh, been in a yeah. taxi that crashed on the way to the airport in Seattle to get back to the UK. And I missed my flight home from Seattle. No way. Uh, I, may, I, I have got a diary of who's who, what's what when it comes to missing flights. So I, I'm with <laughs> you. Since 2019, I, I will literally get to the airport a fucking day early. I will like, I'll, I'll go to a hotel <laughs> for the night. I will not take any chances on that anymore. Totally, though, man. I think you, you need these experiences, though, to learn, to completely learn from it, though. You yeah. really, really do. <laughs> Look, going back to Belgium, then, I mean, these the guys in Belgium have really taken it to the next level over the last few years. I mean, I remember about 
2016, um, there was a lot of jump up DJs from around the Birmingham area, like Filthy Habits, uh, yeah. Rowney from Manchester. Some of those yeah. boys shout out to Rowney and all that crew. They um they were regularly playing in Belgium. It's like there was almost like a massive surgence of UK jump up DJs going to Belgium. And it really took off from there. I mean, I mean, look at it now. They've got like Rampage, haven't they? And things like that. Yeah. Obviously one of the biggest rows in the world. And I've, I've had the pleasure of going to Rampage as well and playing a couple yeah. of three parties for that. But have you, have you been to any of the bigger ones like that over there or is it just um, using the same promoters for you? So I think, I think the in terms of like an abroad gig, I think the biggest gig I played abroad was, I'm just looking at the posters. Um, I think it would have been, to be honest, man, I think it would have been a combination of a festival I've got there called Post Estamiques, um, or probably that Invaders New Year's Eve, to be fair. They're, they're probably the biggest that I've played over there. That Post Estamiques one was crazy, though, because um, it was on a Red Bull stage. Um, so that was really, really good. And it was like a, it was like a small, intimate festival. There was... Um, there was three tents. There was the jump up drum and bass tent. There was like a chart music tent, which I thought was kind of wholesome. And then a complete 180. It was then like a hardcore and crossbreed industrial tent. And then like wow. all the other drum and bass theaters were like, I'm going to go stay in a drum and bass tent. I was just like, are you really? I'm going to go in the hardcore and crossbreed tent. I'll admit. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that is <laughs> just an eclectic amount of stuff. You never really get just those three stages, do you? Like hardcore, no. drum bass and chart music. That's like something you'd, you'd think would be happening in Japan, isn't it? You'd see those Literally. It's so okay. random, but I just, I love the randomness of it. I'm just like, I loved yeah. it. Like on my left ear, I can hear Kate Perry. And then on my over here, I can hear gang, 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 gang. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's class. <laughs> Have you played any other strange and wonderful gigs that are quite different then? Because I know you've been out of Belgium, you've been to Hungary and things like that as well, haven't you? Yeah, like um, I think I'm trying to think of like the most wildest one with loads of crazy peeps on the lineup was uh, probably probably when I played at Bolter in 2018. Uh, Bol- do you know about Bolter Festival? Yeah, it's on at the moment this weekend, isn't it? It uh, starts tomorrow, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's this weekend. Um, it's going to be... Um, I- unfortunately, I'm not going this year. But um, when I played last year, there was just there was just so many crazy people on that lineup, like, in a class sense. Like, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the poster now. I've Corn Sound were headlining one of the stages. Um, and uh, and then all the, like, hardcore, lot, like, Igor... It was an off me nut takeover. The DJ hype, like um, just loads of just crazy sort of hardcore crossbreed sort of stuff, and um, see uh, and like loads of like um, like happy hardcore and all that stuff. Um, see, like when it comes to like kick drums and stuff like that, I like the more industrial sounding stuff. We'll probably get onto that uh, topic more so later. But yeah, like Bolter would probably be the craziest thing I've uh, played in terms of like a very varied lineup. Yeah, 100%. I know. Would you say those are the probably biggest memories you've got that stand out then from Bolter Festival and? Yeah, like I think it's I think more so because there's a big um, culture around Bolter with um, all of my like friends up here at up north because um, especially at the moment to be fair because they've got the um, there's a few of them that have got their own stage this year called Northern Embassy where they just like showcase loads of northern talent like all all the Makina and 
McKean or MCs and all that stuff like that. So there is a big culture behind it uh, from us lot up here. So to, I have a lot of fond memories just playing up on stage and like seeing like pretty much 90% of the crowd being all the borough lot. <laughs> so it's nice, yeah. Where's it, where's, it, where's it actually based then, the Bolter Festival? It's in Chepstow, South Wales. <laughs> ah, yeah, I, th- I thought it was South, and it, yeah. And it's on a... Um, it's on a horse racing course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. funny. Funny, I played. I played at a race course before as well with DJ Fantasy and SAS. Yes, we. It was literally <laughs> in the you know the tent bit where people would usually have the bar. They just had oh, a rave yeah. there at the race course. That was a few years ago. Pretty crazy. I love course. that. That sounds class. That <laughs> yeah, good. I, the same. Funny enough, the same promoter put on a rave at um, a garden center as well, and it was like. The garden center it was in lemmington spa and it had yeah. like it, it had like uh just like a jungle where you walk through like this weird jungle in the garden center thing and they'd, yeah. have, they'd just be like a dubstep stage there and then you go into the big building the big glass house building and there'd yeah. be plants everywhere but it'd be the drum and bass stage like absolutely nuts <laughs> that like sounds that. nuts that i love that though but you you played in hungary as well last year didn't you they've got some pretty cool venues over there how was that for you that was good. Um, the venue I played there was, I think it's called Analog Music Hall. And uh, that was for uh, Clay um, for his uh, nappy jump up. And uh, that was that was mint, to be honest, because in terms of playing abroad, I've only played in Belgium up until that point where I've then played in Budapest. And um, that was that was that was class. Like Clay was really, really like it was sound to me. And me. he was dead nice. You know, we went and got food before and and stuff like that. Um, and the gig the gig was like the gig was classy it was i really really enjoyed it as well because it was um it was frat dubstep versus nappy jump up so there was um uh, two rhythm artists from the us there too so i was like oh i get to hear like like some rhythm come out of big system it's like far and few between that i get to hear it and so i, I loved it for that i was high knee for hours but um <laughs> but um but uh, I think uh, what's his face was there, uh, Bad Fairs. So it was good to oh, see him again. Yeah, and, and um, that, uh, Budapest wasn't it in Budapest? Yeah, it was in Budapest, and yeah, um, yeah like every everyone there was de- like dead friendly as well and stuff like that. And yeah, really, really good experience. It's a beautiful, beautiful city as well. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, hundred percent. I love Budapest. I've I've only I've only been there about three or four times. Every time was was DJing as well. But yeah. I always spent the weekend there. Um, I mean, from my experiences there is like, if you're going on a bar crawl, it's the mm. best place to go in the world. Like, because literally all, all the bars are like, they create, every bar is like a crazy little cave underground and there's like weird mm. tattoos and lights that shine. Like, just yeah. venue, even the rave venues, they're like, they're literally, cause there's a lot of like destroyed buildings in there around Budapest. Yeah. But what they've managed to do is like turn that kind of ugliness into something really authentic and and good yeah. and like all these kind of derelict buildings they've just turned them into like bars and venues and things like that so they've had i've been in ones where it was like it was like a mine shaft and you go yeah. down this mine shaft and suddenly you were in a club and you oh, like you start cool. from this derelict so you go into the derelict building all these walls yeah go down a mine shaft and you're in a club so yeah there's 
it's some I crazy places. I really love quirky venues like that, to oh, be yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be more of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Talk, talking of quirky venues, um, June the 3rd, I'm actually playing for Neuroheads in Bristol. And they've yeah. got, they're, they're putting an event on in an abandoned prison. No so, way, yeah. really. If you want to check it out, there's limited to 200 tickets. If you're watching this, um, yeah, get on it because this is going to be absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. There's loads I of promo videos on the New Red socials as well to see it. I was just going to say about that. I've seen the promo video for that of um, like the guys in the prison, and I thought, yeah. oh, I love how like that they've smashed it. <laughs> That's it. I, 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 like, I jump on events, even when I'm not playing, I jump on any events like that because it's different, isn't it? It brings a different yeah. atmosphere. There's, an, there's another level to it, isn't there? Not just it's, the music, um, it's immersive, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah. It's his it. dark, dark, grungy music in a dark, grungy place. It's it yeah, is immersive. It. It's true to what's playing sort of thing. Yeah, like, <laughs> your, like you said, with the festival, with the three random sounds, or even playing in a garden centre like, with, with yeah. myself or on a race course. I mean, yeah, crazy things like that. I think I think for me at my age as well, that's what really makes me want to do gigs as well. It's got to yeah. be a bit of an experience and things like that. Totally. It's kind of it, that them sort of venues and them sort of gigs, it kind of falls into like, have you ever like sat and watched a zombie movie and thought like, I would love to like go into an abandoned mall and, and just like ride go-karts, you know, like them sort of <laughs> zombie sort of fantasies like that. It's yeah. kind of, you kind of get that similar sensation playing yeah. these yeah, yeah. gigs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm surprised there hasn't been any rave like that because you, you can actually pay to go in abandoned malls and be chased by zombies can't you in some places in the uk you can, yeah yeah there's some of those like, there's one in birmingham isn't there i think there was i think yeah, yeah. yeah you can definitely throw a rave in some of those absolutely no. they go oh, down I'd well love that that'd be terrifying but in, in all the best ways possible <laughs> so, uh, where are you taking the sounds next then is there is there any or many more gigs abroad for 2023 what's coming up i'll be quite honest um things are pretty dry at the moment um but that's because uh, I know that I didn't do much last year. However, though, like I'm trying to proper put my um, foot on the gas uh, uh, this year. Like I'm releasing with uh, you guys. I've just announced another release yesterday and um, I had three other releases just gone to. So I'm like, I'm trying to pump releases out and just, just kind of at the moment, just being like, guys this this is this is levy dubs have a look sort of thing you know i haven't just been quiet <laughs> yeah so you're I'm trying your output this year has been amazing i mean you've had five releases already haven't you this year that's that's pretty uh, good going into it oh i'm pretty i'm pretty chuffed to be honest and like i'm pretty chuffed that i've like done it done it myself as well because like i used to be part of an agency and used to have uh management and stuff like that but the, that all went away, like, uh, last year. So all these releases that have happened this year, like, they've just been through me, just sending, 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 or getting in contact and or vice versa. So I'm chuffed, man. I'm chuffed. I'm I'm trying, definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, with the touring, I mean, one thing we've spoke about is, again, the anxiety of getting to the flight, but obviously the the flowers you get when you're actually on, it can make or break you a lot touring. I mean, what bits of advice would you give people out there to keep your head straight? And if you are going to be flying abroad, doing gigs for the first time, because you've done a fair bit of it in the last few years, Liam, what would you think the main pointers that you'd give people for it? So my main pointer would be if you're, you know, quite anxious and stuff like me, me is just, even though if you're going to be waiting a long time, just 
get to places early, like because even, like like I say, you'll be waiting there for a bit bit longer in that, but at least you can wait there anxious free, knowing that you've got loads of time to, you know, either relax, you've got loads of time to make amendments if something does go wrong. Um, you know, you got lots of time to get food and stuff like you've just got lots of time um to sit and ponder and sort of relax about the situation. So don't yeah, I would say just just get to places really early. I would yeah, say prepare, isn't it? It makes it a yeah. far, far less stressful experience. So you heard it there first from the airport yeah. ninja Lemmy Dubs. Giving <laughs> a bit of advice there. So <laughs> with dubstep, I mean with dubstep, would you ever consider doing those types of gigs? I mean, if you've got a dubstep gig offered to you, would you do it? Or are you fully focused on the DMB? Hundred percent I'd do a dubstep gig if I got it. Hundred percent. I'm quite surprised you haven't been booked to play in the USA in that sense. Have you have you had any thoughts about doing that or looking to play across the pond in the in America? If I ever got the opportunity to do it, I would I would jump jump at the chance. Um like it's the big it's the big sound out there. Every time I've gone over there playing dubstep's the number one sound over there. Oh to- especially especially in the last like sort of three years, because like um I think rhythm uh, dubstep has really, really come to the forefront in the US. It's always been there, um, but it's like, it's kind of, rhythm dubstep in the US has kind of had a similar journey as to what drum and bass in the UK has, I think, in, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah. Like, it's, it's they're both very popular and they're both very, uh, very normalised in their scenes now, which I think is great. I think because considering, um, like with uh, Jump Up and like with Rhythm, they are they are very loud, obnoxious genres, but they have got a lot of talent and creativity behind it. And I think people are starting to get more attuned to that, which is which is great because yeah, it's noisy stuff, but it isn't just noise. And I think it's I don't know, I I love that. But if I ever got an opportunity to go over there, man, I'd I'd love it. Like I do have, like I do speak to people from over there who produce dubstep and. Uh, I've I've been involved with labels in the past uh, that have pushed that sound as well, and um, I still make dubstep. I, I make quite a lot of dubstep, to be honest. I just um, it just kind of sits on my PC. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Yeah, any opportunities ar- ar- arise with that, I would jump at the chance, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's really yeah. taken off there, hasn't it, dubstep? I mean, if you remember when it was when dubstep was huge in the UK, up until like around 2012 it, it really took mm. a landslide didn't it it just yeah. disappeared in six months the events stopped being put on and obviously it was around that time that the really harder complex true excision was blowing up but then again if, yeah. you, if you think what happened there it's probably it's probably quite quite a good light that it shine on dubstep or for those producers because it got big in america around that time and yeah. obviously gigs over there have much bigger than any of the dubstep gigs that was over here. I mean, the whole festivals are based around dubstep, aren't they? You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, the like artists. literally Lost Lands, that the uh, the festival that Excision puts on. I think pretty much ninety percent of that lineup's dubstep. Yeah, EDC so, like, as well. Yeah. EDC, yeah, things like that. Yeah. So they 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 obviously it, it kind of landed on its feet when it when it fucked up in the UK, didn't it? it really? Yeah. Did. They kind of took on that sort of um, like heavy sort of bro step sound, you know, yeah, and bro, the, the whole bro step thing was quite popular for maybe like, you know, two, three years after 2012. Yeah. And then that sort of bro step style then just got, it just kind of got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. 
until then most of the music was took out which yeah. i say that isn't like a bad time. i love it i love it to bits i found it really i found it really strange that the general dubstep kind of veered off though because i mean if you, if you think about the sounds like hatcher and scream and benga they were doing stuff on a very high commercial level as well do you know what i mean like on a mission kb how big was that tune yeah. like and, oh, and like there was just no more of those like, i i find it weird that the scene just didn't separate we didn't like bro step and that carried on but no like literally it was like no you're all dubstep fuck off out the door go on get to america like <laughs> you don't want yeah. nothing to do with me anymore yeah I it's very strange I, I don't even know like what's happened with that i mean like i i, I have a friend um who very much likes his like uk sort of dubstep you deep wobbles flows and all that jazz and i do i i i love like uh, like our uk dubstep and that as well um well, me and him can never, never meet meet eye eye to eye with rhythm. Uh, I, 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 I try and explain to him why it's good and stuff, and like maybe show him a good examples that he could get into. But then, it does kind of happen on the other end of me because, like I said, I do like a lot of the dubstep that is from here, but a lot of it as well, I do it. I can't catch a vibe with it as much as I do with a lot of rhythm because there's just there's lots of things going on with rhythm that keeps me interested and not to say that there isn't with you there's the uk dubstep got loads of bass texture and stuff like that you got your flow and all that jazz but for me there's just a lot more for me to latch on to especially as like um like a jump up sort of heavy dubstep like artist who's and and coming from metal and stuff like that as well um i feel like me liking that is it's just like a natural transition sort of thing you know from one heavy genre to another <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it does I, I, i've had the same thing like you say with rock music for me led to gabba gabba led yeah. to hard drum and bass and that got me interested in drum and bass so it, yeah it has that kind of kind it's of a nat- it's a natural flow in it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so quick question obviously for anybody watching what are the best cities in the world to see drum and bass answers in the comments below let us know any links to any videos you want to show us to prove your point do that as well Let's talk a little bit about the music then. What actually got you into producing music? You know, I know you said you was very young. Was it about 11 years old when you were doing about it? 11. And, uh, yeah, I got into it, yeah. So, so, what, what did you so like, um, when I was 11, uh, all my knowledge was, was that I just knew people made music. I didn't know how people made music, but it must be coming from somewhere. So I got my first um, pair of decks. And my first pair of decks uh, was this big chunky thing, and it was the uh, Newmark CD Mix One. So it was the all-in-one one with the little like um, turny CJ, uh, like uh, like t- oh, I can't even think what they're called, like little dials at the top with your with your decks, yeah. but they were like about that big. Yeah, um, the little wheels. The they? little wheels, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember getting that, thinking that everything on there would make music. I didn't realize it was just to mix music on. So I was like, where's all the synths? Why isn't it making noise? And I'm just, then I realized, I was like, oh, it's, it's DJ decks. So that's that's kind of when I got into DJing. But then I was still figuring out how people made music. 
So then I got more decks. And then I got um, a Newmark Axis 9. And then a, a, what was the other one? A Stanton C303. Um, so that was the one that had um, the like launch pads on it as well. And I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere now. So then I used to loop sounds to the point where it would just be a tone on, on the axis because that had loads of effects on it at the top as well. And then I then used the other deck to then uh, loop drums um, from tracks and then like play the drums. Uh, this would have been like 11, 12 I was doing this. So I was just like, oh, this this must be it. And then um, using EQ on my mixer, that then I'll just get wobbles. I'll be like sat there going, whoa, 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 on my EQ with this tone I've made on the other decks. And then I'd record all of that into Audacity. And then I'll be like, that's how you make music. And then I did that until I was about 13. And I was like, no, nah, there's like... I'm, I've got all this equipment and it's it's given me these results. It's this this can't be it. Um, so then I got the Cog, the uh, Cog Chaos Pad Two, and then that had drum machines on it. Um, that could be synced up to a Tap BPM. So I was like, all right, Tap One Forty. Okay, I've got some drums now. I've got my axis for the effects. Um, and you know, it was starting to get some way. They were starting to sound like dubstep tunes. Um. But then I, I realized in Audacity, you can generate tones as well. So I used to get the drum machine on the Korg and uh, generate square waves in Audacity and then add a, is it wah-wah to it, wah-wah effects. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I've got a dubstep wobble now. But then I was just sat there. I'm just like, this can't be it. This can't be it. Um, so that's when I then did some research and then took the plunge and then got uh, Fruity Loops. And then I was like, "All oh, right, this makes sense." Because I was looking at all the tutorials. I was like, "Right, this, this, this is this is the shit." Essentially, uh, when I was uh, thirteen, and then um, I think at the time I was making, uh, it was like it was really. I, I remember my first track. It was called Jump, and um, it was just me experimenting with the the. I think it was a T four or four synth in Fruity Loops, and I got like a really acidy synth, and I was just like, "Okay, we're getting somewhere." That's still on YouTube, by the way. I think it's DJ Lemmy Jump. Um, if you can't find it, it's The Lemmy 2910 on YouTube. And that was my old YouTube channel from back in the day. And so, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then I made that and I was like, all right, okay, this is making a lot more sense now. Um, so I started experimenting with synths and, you know, how people got rhythm synths and stuff like that. And I was getting there. I was getting to a point when I was like 14 going on 15 where I was making like sort of like early, early, like really early sounding rhythm. Like when it wasn't even that popular, like all the uh, just this, like the square waves, simple drums, the whoomp, 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 all that stuff. And I was like, all right, OK, I'm, get, I'm, I'm you know, I'm starting to sound like people that I look up to. Um, and then kind of got involved with more dubstep artists as I started evolving my sound more and then they were helping me out, giving me advice to then try back on my DAW. Um, and then I'm trying to think, there was like a point where it all clicked for me. Uh, it was probably when I was about, it was probably when I was about 16, 17, when I was making my transition from dubstep to, to jump up. So, like, doing that transition, I then also learned a lot of, uh, about it uh, with uh, drum and bass. There was a lot of things I could bring over with dubstep synthesis to jump up because, you know, they're not, they're not similar, but 
they had similar approaches in terms of sound design and mix sound and all that. Um, and then d- during that transitional period, I then thought, all right, okay, I'm I'm still a dubstep producer that occasionally makes jump up. So from what I learned, I then took it back to dubstep, and then I think this was like maybe seventeen years old. Um, like I then started making more and more and more jump up um because my it was being like reciprocated more from my friends because like i won't lie like none none of my friends growing up didn't really they didn't really like dubstep dubstep's really really not a big thing up here at all unfortunately um so because of that being reciprocated more i was like all right okay okay i think i'll just start making this more than maybe and then that simple thought just i guess just turned into now yeah <laughs> so you you had your first well unofficially you had a, a release before this but according to beatport uh bewildered productions put out your first dubstep track in 2015. yeah Cat so two questions for you number one <laughs> what the fuck you got wrong with cats and number two <laughs> how did that release come about so um i think that i i trying to think how it came about that because that's a long time ago now um so that would have been off the back of a release that i did before that so i released um an ep before that on um do you know who uh the gremlins are or um uh, Ev Gre- or Corks? Drem- gremlins is in the drum and bass producers no is in the dubstep American. producers oh uh, they, they, so. They also did um, an alias called The Force. Right, right. Uh, okay. the, 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 fair, but um, they owned a label called D, DYB UK Records. And um, I released um, uh, an EP called The Ninja EP um, before that Cat Attack one. So then off the back of that, the guy who owned that label, he was just like, oh, well, yeah, loving these tunes, loving this dubstep style. Um, and then sent him some tracks for that uh ep i think i remember was it a three track ep that cat attack i think it was cat attack arrest and um squidward i think it was i think with the three tracks on it um and yeah like um with the with the <laughs> with the cat name um I, honestly i don't even know why i called that because i love cats <laughs> i really really love cats yeah what's think... got wrong with cats cats are all right apart from, apart from when they're uh they're hungry then they're little bastards like but yeah oh, <laughs> oh when they're running around the hall at three o'clock in the morning you're like whoa what the hell <laughs> yeah. but, i grew um... up with a cat i'd never have one again but i did grow up with a cat in the house basically yeah. when i was younger so yeah. from from those from those releases, then um, we saw your first jump up release in 2017, didn't we? On Reload, um, yes. Was that your first drum and bass track? Was your first attempt at drum and bass? Was it? And you got it signed? So no, um, you unfortunately you won't be able to find it anywhere, and I, I can't find it anywhere either on my PC, unfortunately. But my first jump up track was a track called C3PO, and um, again that would have been I would have made that when I was in college um but my first jump up track to then get released was uh oh was sorry was the one on that bewildered one that dumb um but then uh fast forward to that reload one you're on about that would have been my first like okay this is this is just a jump up ep and um 
the housemates I was mentioning before in Leeds, they're, they're the ones that did that reload records and gave me all these opportunities and stuff like that. So because of me just living with them, um, it was quite it was quite easy because um, in terms of feedback, I'll just shout them and be like, come listen to this tune, say if you want to come release this. <laughs> so they just come okay. in and go, yeah, go on and go on and sort of thing. But um, yeah, it was yeah, it was I, I it was at the time it was a very establishing release for me, mm. sort of thing. It was like he's the transition of dubstep to jump up. This is what I can do at the time, sort of thing. And I yeah. think I, it, it was like I said before, it was like that was that was a, the first time where I was like, okay, these jump up tracks are sounding like jump up tracks now, not like dubstep sped up, sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. those releases led to some pretty big ones, didn't they? In the last few years, you've been on Nemesis, OYO, mm -hmm. uh, Create Drum and Bass, and even Korsakoff as well, haven't you? So yeah. there's been, been some pretty big ones out there. Well, what's oh, the definitely. experience been like with those labels and getting tracks out with them? Do you still keep in touch to to re-release with them? Um, I'm I'm very much in touch with OYO still, because that's that's Claire's, uh, Claire's label, but it's also... Um, what a great label off. that is. I get the promos of that, and they very very much cross over a lot of the music with like neurofunk as well don't they it's, yeah it's really really techy stuff their their style of drum and bass is like to a t like if i don't know if if you were to say to me like oh liam what's your favorite sort of style of dmb i'll just be like go listen to any track on oyo it's that yeah. it's that fine blend of jump up and neurofunk that leans slightly more into jump up i love it yeah, yeah. i love it I love that. I, I'm, I'm so happy that I get the promos for those releases. Like, but it, is, it is good. Um, no, it's good, man. It's um, it's it, it's um, it's clear. It's Claire's label, but it's also co-run by um Jade from Eat Brain as well. So ah. it's kind of like a semi semi sister label of Eat okay. Brain. Yeah, something new. I did not know that. So that uh, that does explain <laughs> a lot on the quality side of it. One thing I did notice as well, going through obviously your discography is. Um, not that this is a bad thing, but no collabs. Like you've remixed before, but you yeah. haven't really had a, a proper collab track. Is there is there any reason for that? I mean, you have got a very individual sound. I know that, but is there yeah. any plans to do any collaborations with other artists or anything like that? Um, so the reason behind that, it's 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 very much like a me thing. Um, because when I'm producing, I, I it's one it's. Is it might might be selfish sort of thing, but it's kind of like one of them things where I'm like, I know what I want to do, I know what I want to make, I know what sounds I'm going to use, um, I'm just kind of going to do it sort of thing, and um, I've I've been in that bubble for a very very long time, um, and it's only just recently that I've um I've, I think I finished my first collab with someone the uh, it was a month ago, and oh, I'm, exclusive and I'm, need to hear yeah. this one who's it with yeah. It's um with my good mate Clarky from Manchester, but um I'm also starting two others as well, because I'm just trying I'm just trying to come out this bubble because it, uh, it is something with me that, um and I'm doing one with um Fanatics and um Natrix as well. Fanatics, um, another amazing producer on the OYO label. Yeah, Fanatics absolutely smashes it. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I'm it's it's a bubble that I've been in that I'm just trying to get out of. Yeah. Um, because I'm very like, uh, I'm trying to think of a comparison sort of thing. Uh, I can't think of any to be honest, but like, there yeah. isn't, there definitely no. isn't a comparison to you, Liam. No. <laughs> that yeah. music is 
individual, which is a good thing, definitely. But uh, no, you talk about collabs. Maybe I've got something for you that I've been doing that maybe we could collab on. So maybe we're in front of a time. I'll keep that in mind anyway. I'll see why not, though. <laughs> exactly. So uh, let's flex those producing muscles, definitely. <laughs> you, you've got a lot of good things to say about these producers. You, you've got a very positive energy about you, Liam. Obviously, every interaction I have is like that. Um, you know, what What keeps you obviously keeping positive like that around, obviously, the music? Because there is a lot of downfalls to it, being a music producer, a lot of letdowns yeah. that you have. How do you keep yourself so positive with it all? Um, Because in in my head, I feel like, I feel like when I say this out loud, it's so like, like, oh, every producer says this, but it really, it really is a feeling that is down to my core where it's like, I, I'll, I, I do, I'll, I'll do this because I love it. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not business savvy. I'm not very professional. And I'll, I'll, and I'll admit that because really from the day I started to now, it's all been because I just love making tunes. I just love it. And I love people around me, like um, like you, Claire, and all all the peeps that are supporting, but also making good music, uh, because I know how like hard it is, and I know the skill you guys put behind it, and I know that you guys wouldn't be doing this sort of thing if there wasn't a passion behind it, sort of thing. Because I mean, let's face it, music industry is bloody hard to to traverse through. Yeah. So they say only less than one percent really break through properly. Like so, mm, it is. Yeah, you, you, you. The odds are against you. you know, yeah, you, absolutely. Gotta, gotta love it. Absolutely. Oh, hundred percent. And and I don't know. I'm just. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just constantly giddy about it. And sometimes it might come off as like sort of. I don't know. Like cartoonish or fake, but it really isn't. I just. I just, I, I just love, I just love it, Lee. I just yeah. do. I really do. And that's, I, I that's what I love about it. you, Liam. Your, yeah. your, your energy about it all is always very positive. So it's really refreshing. And it's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to have a chat with you as well, because I knew we'd have a really interesting conversation and we'd bring yeah. some of that energy out in this interview as well. Yeah, what, what, what are your inspirations in dubstep and drum and bass? And I mean, I know you mentioned fanatics, clay, but what artists across both those genres are big inspirations for you with the music that you write? See, it's a sh- so um, it's a strange one because it's uh, I don't really get inspired by um, a lot of like people within the scene sort of thing. I do. I'm, I won't say like as as a nasty thing like that at all. Um, but it's more so like things around me. But I'll answer your first question first, though. Like with um, Clear and Fanatics, yeah, definitely. But um, Current Value is someone that I look up to a lot in drum and bass as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's the don. He is the he's don. Absolute don. Because what I love about it is because, yeah, he does smash drum and bass, but one, he smashes it differently, and two, he also makes a lot of other things, which that, I really appreciate. That <laughs> is a great, great comparison, which I'd never actually thought of, like, if you think of artists who are so individual, their tracks sound out in a set that nothing else, it's definitely you and current value. There's a couple of others, I'm sure, but like yeah. nobody, nobody's really copying you in them and nobody does it like you and him. Now, yeah. you know, we know he's a, he's a granddaddy of it all, isn't he, current value? And yeah. stuff. But I, think, I think it's a great thing to have. I mean, obviously, if I am to play your music, I have to play a few of your tracks in my set because literally they don't go with anything else. Same with yeah. Current Value. 
Roz loved that because there's nothing wrong with having a, a complete flip in your set just to change the tone on people in the crowd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Um, 100%. Like, because, like, something um, something to add on to that as well, like, when, um, like, people have given me feedback in the past, like, sort of DJ feedback in, the set, in, in terms of the tunes where it's like, oh, Liam, there isn't enough hats on the intro or, um, I don't know, the, the, the drops too crazy there's too many switches like my response 90 percent of the time is sorry <laughs> <laughs> but like because like i'll i'll like take uh, i'll take feedback with mixed downs and all that every time but to to cater to djs and stuff like that i'm just like oh well you know just press play and you'll you'll figure it out as it builds up sort of thing because i don't i don't like adding things like that into a track that's going to pull away from it sort of thing like I, I have a, I have a big thing with, um, and uh, say someone plays an intro and it's instantly just <laughs> with hi hats. I'm just like oh, sort of thing because I, I I like I like the track to sort of lean into itself and not lean mm. into the DJ sort of thing. Yeah. Do you have um, Do you have a favourite current value track? Is there any that stand out as your favourites? Oh, it's it was on one of his old EP. See, I can't, going back I'm, to the I'm, obscene freak records days, are we? Oh, that's been my favorite. Symptomless Coma is my favorite on barcode oh, recording. I do remember that. It's yeah, a is it? That it, it was a remix of a Donny tune, but that is definitely my favorite. favorite. Yeah, yeah. It was um, a tune. I I can't remember the name right, and I can't remember. Uh, the label he released it on, but I remember what the artwork looked like, and it was that red artwork with the with the robot in what sort of looked like Mars, and it got oh, released about three sub, years ago. Subsistence, subsistence. Yeah, subsistence. I think so. He was uh, Dean Rodell's label. Oh, he, he I remember the tune. Yeah. yeah, it was the um, was it that Heli Attack or Heli? Yeah, or something? yeah, yeah I yeah. love that tune because it's That's it's it's just so sky, and I love out like that, mate. <laughs> quick quick question for anybody out there watching what is your favorite current value tune and why put it in the comments below let us know I want to have a chat about the way I actually discovered you. And this is going to be Marmite for some. I definitely know your feelings about it. But I discovered you through your Korsakoff release, and yeah. which jumps into a crazy Makina Happy Hardcore style breakdown to yeah. obviously send the track out. What was the name of the track again? Uh, dramatic Shift. Dramatic Shift. Yeah, very, yeah. very dramatic shift. So <laughs> obviously the Makina sound, very, very popular in Middlesbrough, up north, Tyneside. Yeah. What are your experiences of Makina growing up? And and uh, obviously let everybody know your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Oh, well, so as in, in my youth, um, I, I did go through that phase, you know, going down park, listening to what on your phone, Bluetooth and tunes and MC storming and stuff like that to each other. And uh, stomp, no, stomping, sorry. Um, and um, and I did have a phase where I did like it back in school, but um, my 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 palate got heavier and heavier, and then that kind of got pushed to the background. But then being around it recently, um, like I'm just constantly 
surrounded by it um, uh, with my friends making it and my friends putting on nights around it and stuff like that. And like, say you go to an event in Borough that uh, that's been put on, uh, like say it's don't um, like there'll there'll never be like a dedicated drum and bass night. There'll never be a dedicated house night. It'll be like, oh, there's a bit of house and then McKenna at the end. There's a bit of drum and bass at the start, but there's McKenna at the end, sort of thing. <laughs> it's always it's always like that. So you can't you can't escape it. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those weird things in different areas around you know even around the world like music yeah. it has its own little pod some stars like i mean if you go to yorkshire you know yeah. you've got you, you've obviously got a lot of hard house coming out of that and things and obviously some hard style and stuff like that as well london you have grime music um mm-hmm. i mean you, you go to japan you know you've got you've got makina and k-pop there as well it's just weird little pockets of the world that obviously quite popular i mean did you have any did you have any makina artists that you liked that you can remember so no <laughs> sorry no I, I um i can't name the only mckenna producer i can name is um is my friend who does it and he's he's smashing it at the moment um shout out celestial um yeah. but uh but um like he when i go and make mckenna as well um because of my lackluster knowledge of it he's just he's my like go-to reference of like Right, I feel like doing one of these silly Makina like sort of switches to jump up tunes to there. So I'm just I'm just gonna go to my friend and just listen to one of his tunes. So yeah. I don't really know where else to go, sort of thing. Well, so, a lot of Makina comes from uh, Spanish as well. There's a lot of Spanish producers that went on to do hard style and stuff like um, what's his name, um, Ponteri. He was like a big big Makina producer. And then obviously yeah. from Japan, you've got M Project. Um, there was a few people in the UK uh, from Umberside. There was a guy called Triple XL, a good friend of mine, Wayne, oh, who yeah. was doing it. And then I believe there was like, um, I mean, my experience is, is Hangar 13. When we were in Sheffield, we went to hardcore nights called Uprising. We always yeah. heard of a guy called DJ Scott who ran these Hangar 13. Oh, yeah. So you heard of him. You heard of DJ yeah, Scott. Yeah, Rick, rings a bell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, he was like one of the shining kind of names in that industry. And, me working in a record shop in Sheffield, I used to run a record shop called Reflex. Well, I say I run it, I used to manage it. I didn't run it. Yeah. But um, <laughs> basically there, I'd always have all the, because it was all, Makina was always picture discs constantly. Yeah. You never got black vinyl. You always got full picture disc vinyls with the yeah. Makina stuff like. So there was, a, there was a lot of that coming through as well. Um, mm. do, do you remember Uprising and Destruction? Did you ever hear of those in Middlesbrough? No, I think the only the only popular sort of like Makina sort of night or movement that I've heard is I think it's the one everyone knows about is New Monkey in Newcastle. Yeah, I mean yeah. New Monkey was that was yeah. the term, weren't it? That's like the Geordie yeah. youth culture. New Monkey was the name for Makina, weren't it? For quite a bit. And there was yeah. a club, there was a club called it as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, apart from apart from that, like I only I only ever really experienced it. Um, in my youth in like party sessions i was never like maybe going up and asking ids and stuff like that it was just kind of background party music that then yeah just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, obviously like i said no how big it was there but yeah you, we did get the odd makina dj playing in sheffield at the hardcore nights it was like chucked in between like m zone and marky yeah. and uh producer and paulo so you get gabba happy hardcore bounce scouse house because yeah house from liverpool um, the only thing we didn't really get 
at Uprising was obviously the other big sound coming out of Sheffield, which was like Speed Garage, completely yeah. kettle of fish. That, but um, there's um there's a house producer that's quite big now that used to play Makina, Patrick Topping. Did you know he was a? Makina? Oh yeah, I didn't know he was a Makina producer. Yeah. yeah, he made he made and DJed Makina back in the day before he become a a big household name. Doing that's uh, crazy that I didn't know yeah. that. I keep seeing adverts from him on Facebook all the time. That's that's well interesting that yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> so another question obviously for you guys watching who are your favorite makina producers have you come across any or who are your worst ones let us know in the comments below so <laughs> outside of music liam talking about you know other interests i know you do dabble with a lot of music genres like you said obviously you've got your uni work coming up uh, yeah. sorry you've just finished your uni work yeah it's finished it sorry finished yeah. <laughs> uni. so tell us a little bit about what you what you were doing at uni then um so i think one of the things I was definitely most proud of with uni is when I did my um, final year dissertation because um, I did um, an extensive study on um, Mick Gordon and his techniques that he used for um, the Doom Eternal OST. But then uh, to prove that I you know, learned and incorporated these techniques, I then written a, um, a, a five, five, I think it was like a five track concept album ep whatever what have you no six sorry six track and um it was it was like that there was there was no drum and bass in that album there was no dubstep um it's all very like um like avant-garde electronic music at the start and then it, at the end it's all like thrash metal and doom metal and stuff like that um something that was fun and challenging to doing it is that i can't play guitar can't play it at all so what i did at uh, uni was i sampled someone just playing each string but in different techniques so just all the way down all the way up different sort of strumming techniques and all that jazz and then mixed that with sort of electronic sort of um uh, uh, guitar vsts as well so then I, I i then you know made fruity loops play the guitar for me you know assigned it to my keyboard and all that and then make all the metal drums and then just kind of play like I'm playing the guitar and my keyboard sort of thing. Um, so it was a challenge that, to be honest, because I was thinking I'd, I really don't want to get someone to play guitar for me. I really want to do it. I, I was stubborn about my project. I was like, I want to do it myself. Um, so I managed to find a way around that. Um, and there was loads of like the beginning tracks are all very electronic not really much instruments in them um i was in like what was some of like one of one of his techniques that really really helped me down the line for my own future productions was um i'll, I'll try not to wonder about this too much because it's a big technique was um something that he used to do was um he'd get a sine wave and then he'd assign noise to it at the same frequency as the sine wave so say you had A440, this, the, it would be oscillating at uh, 440 hertz as well, the, the white noise. And then when you distort that, you get the loads of then interesting textures. You, like, you'll distort and you get the classic Nero sort of bass on it. And then um, what he then did with that was then compressed it, compressed it, compressed it loads um, to get sort of kick drum sounds out of it. Um, so it would be like, like that sort of coming out of it. But then what he would then have he was he would have uh microphones near that that would obviously create feedback 
but then it then put the microphone through loads of um, other bits of distortion bit crushing ring modulation to give some really interesting tones out of that uh, feedback but then because of the sine wave sound being so heavy hitting with all the compression it would push that feedback down so when you're hearing the ost um like say you've got a bit of down combat in doom eternal you'd get loads of synth fits where it would be pushing the feedback down but raising up um as the sine wave stops so it'd be going like like that and i was just like just I got use that a lot. we just got our beatbox <laughs> uh, you just got it there. You just got it there. <laughs> we got it. We got it. A, but, lot, uh, a lot of that is, uh, I mean, that's very interesting. A lot of that definitely flying over my head a little bit for that. Sorry, man. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Really interesting stuff, mate. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So, you know, you, you also do a bit of sculpting as well, don't you? I mean, you're very involved in the arts, not just with music, but on the arts yeah. side as well. O- only, only a little bit. And at the moment, I've only just done it for like a few like free downloads and stuff that i've done for myself like there's a free download on my uh soundcloud page called cosmic horror and um the artwork on that i did myself and um that was just i think that was just a drawing in gimp to be fair but my current logo on soundcloud that's a combination of gimp and the 3d model um i'll definitely will not say that i am a 3d model artist i'm still very much learning but I'm getting to good points of it now because I I don't know. I think it's someone, I think it's everyone's ideal thing of the world to do everything yourself. But, um, and I know that I'll eventually reach a wall with that, but I really am trying to do that as well. I'd love to just be able to have full control of everything. Arts, music sort of thing with, with, with with Lemmy dubs. (laughs) So off camera, me and you have talked about obviously you suffering from autism and how the arts, music in general has really helped you through that journey as well tell us a little bit about that liam and how obviously you've used this as a coping mechanism for it yeah so um i mean it's 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 my hyper i guess it's my hyper focus like i i can't i can't stop thinking about it when i'm at work when i'm out my friends it's music is something that's constantly on my mind because um trying to find a way to put it like it's it, it stimulates me like um it it it's something that i obviously casually enjoy doing but it's something that you know puts me down as well say like i've had a rough day at work um i'll come home and instantly start start making tunes and then as soon as i start like i said stimulated me to the point where i kind of just forget about it sort of thing um however though like it it, um i do have my downsides of it like um like even with the collab thing we were talking about earlier like uh i i know what i want to do and then when something interrupts that i find it really really hard yeah because it goes against my original vision of the project the tune what have you Mm. so it, it has been quite hard to break out of that and start collabing with people like yeah. There, there was one collab that I was doing where, so like what we did is I sent him stems, he sent me stems, we make two tunes sort of thing. And he was sending me ideas back and they, they, they weren't sitting right with me. They, they would like, they weren't reaching what I could see that tune to be. Um, and as much as I get it, totally, totally get it. And we'll, we'll work towards that. It was, it was, it was frustrating 
but in a way that I knew it was like Liam, you know, bear with sort of thing. But it does have its downsides like that where uh, I liked I like to be in control of my creativity sort yeah. of thing. And when that gets interrupted, it can be hard for me. And I think what I'll need uh, people to realise with that sometimes is like, you know, as much as um, it's like, well, first of all, it's not an excuse, it's an explanation. And uh, thirdly as well, it's like, it's just, you know, I'm not trying to be nasty. It's just something that's like proper up here <laughs> with it all. Um, but yeah, it, it helps and it doesn't sometimes, but not in a sense where it's ruining my life. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Did you find when you were growing up until you was until you was writing music that you were, it, it was like kind of, let me rephrase that. Did you find that when you started writing music, it was almost a real good, is a real good trigger, if you will, I can't find the word for it, to actually yeah. help with that. So up until that point, which you kind of a little bit all over the place and then music kind yeah. of was a, a turning point for you to kind of help you to control it. Yeah, mu music, music provided me a focus in life sort of thing. Um, something to to be excited about, something to be thinking about and something some like it's just something that i can always latch on to when things are hard for me like uh, with, with with what life brings up like say say i lose a job or something like that or you know things are a bit down in the dumps i can always you know look back and go well at least i've always got music to fall back to i'm not i'm not going oh well i've got nothing to do now i'm just gonna wallow like it's something yeah. that'll always provide me stimulation and fun I guess, really, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that really is the key to life, though. I mean, not obviously just for uh, symptoms like having autism, but key to life is is finding your thing, isn't it? Finding an Absolutely. interest, finding an hobby. I mean, the, the majority of people that I speak to who don't really have something, a hobby or something that they're diving into interest-wise, they generally yeah. do suffer a lot more with depression and things like that as well for the most. I mean, I know yeah. everybody gets it, but other things like that. And yeah, it can, it can definitely help to, to make it. I mean, obviously music's a great one yeah. because you, you get experiences from it. Like we've been talking about crazy gigs around the world and things like that. Yeah. Obviously releasing music and you, you're part of a community as well, which definitely has a, a plus side to it, isn't it, the music community. I think um, in relation to what you're saying there, it, uh, something I have uh, a piece of advice I have for people that want to get into like a hobby, whether it be music or something like that, is that there seems to be um, this sort of um, mindset around these creative aspects, and uh, when you start it, you have to make a career out of it. That's it. Like people need to remember that if you want to go make tunes just because it's a bit of downtime, you have a laugh of it. It's fine. Go do it. If it makes you feel good and it's bringing less stress into your life just because it's something fun to do, go do it. Not everything has to be a business venture. Not everything has to be monetized. Like if you're having a laugh of it and it's making you feel good, let's go do it. M maybe something will happen down the line. <laughs> so let's talk about this Dirtbox release. Me and you have been planning this for a while. Uh, it's a three tracker. The Dissonant Artillery EP, love that fucking name you come up with on the spot. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Going around, obviously, the kind of war theme. And we've got, obviously, yeah. the artwork with Ed 209 as well. So really happy this has come to fruition. Um, yes. You know, 
tell me tell me about obviously the theme of this release and the tracks you know what 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 it is about them um i guess it's just um in in a in a simple sense really it's just it's more more lemmy dubs but more new refined lemmy dubs it that feels more settled into the sound that i've tried to work towards uh for a long time and i think it's good for you as well lee in a sense where these tracks are they're very they're very much me they're very jump uppy but they're also a bit of a taster of like okay you know there is a little thing of neuro in there as well um so i don't know i think it's a good body of music that fits you um portrays my sound but also shows that there is a big development happening with me too uh, yeah i mean all yeah. three tracks are very different i find that airstrike mm. definitely is the lemmy dubs hard jump up that belgian sound phase yeah. reality it's almost got a roller vibes to it in a way hasn't yeah. it? Like techie yeah. roller vibes and then uncanny is just a bit mental as well so it, it definitely touches on three aspects of your sound all around and yeah, yeah. with the artwork i think I think we had to go down the RoboCop route, didn't we, for the marketing ah, strategy on this it. one? It's, it's got to go. Perfect. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, it's it's really well rounded. Uh, I think we've we've put in some good work with that Lee in yeah. the end. Yeah, and and I think I think the marketing that we've got we've got planned for this is going to be fantastic. A couple of music videos on the horizon as well, so keep an eye out for those. And yes. uh, of course, let, let's announce it here as well. This is not the only time we're going to be working together this year. We've got a remix from the mighty Lemmy Dubs coming on Dirtbox. And mm -hmm. he's got a release on our other label, VTO Records, as well, which is absolutely fucking huge. You, like this Dirtbox one, it definitely tips the scales, but the VTO one, that is, uh, I think that is the nail in the coffin. Uh, we're, not, we're not stopping this year, peeps. We're not stopping. <laughs> it's, big. it's big so any other big releases this year after the dirtbox and vto one anything else planned there is there is thing there is things in the pipeline but i'm not sure what i can talk about at the moment uh because they're very like early days sort of stages things right now um but um all i can say right now is that lee is right we've got a release on dirtbox and we've got a release on vto um but there is also more things coming people the releases aren't stopping this year but you'll hear about them when they come out <laughs> very very busy indeed looking forward to hearing that of course everybody at home have a listen to the release go grab it on spotify add it into your playlist and if you're a dj make sure you're paying for it and download lemmy dubs and support him by grabbing it on beatport exclusively for two weeks before it lands everywhere else like juno of course in the comments below let us know what you think about the release. Yes. So we're bringing this to an end, Liam. We've got yes. a couple of questions for you. Just they're a bit more fun, these questions. So yeah. not as hard hitting as what we've been going through. But I just wanted to say, mate, it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And uh, hopefully we can do this again one day. It's been an absolute pleasure you having me on too, man. I've enjoyed this. <laughs> so let's get with these questions then. Uh, I know you're a massive fan of one of these, but... Do you think you could pass the test between Pepsi and Coke? Um, well, in terms of choosing which one, because it will be Pepsi every time. You could you <laughs> can you tell that Pepsi is Pepsi and Coke is Coke? If I was to put two of them in front of you unlabeled, do you think you could tell? Hard yes. Hard, I, 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 like I've been drinking these for many years now. It's a hard yes that. <laughs> we are going to follow this up next time I see you in person. That is the test that we're going to give you. I'm going to have one of each in a glass, and we'll report back on this podcast. <laughs> 
Have you met any famous people from Middlesbrough? Because there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> the most famous person I've met in uh, Middlesbrough is that um, that train driver <laughs> that made all the funny <laughs> announcements on the train, like the, all the extensive announcements. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the viral. As as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know any famous people from Middlesbrough? Um... I don't, I don't, and uh, do you know what? Honestly, oh, my, 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 my culture know, is I shocking. I, I don't know anyone. <laughs> these, these are some of the famous people from Middlesbrough you could have chosen. Bob yeah. Mortimer from Reeves and Mortimer. Okay. Vic and Bob. teaching me things. Vic and so, Bob. Yeah, do you know uh, uh, Shooting Stars? Vic Reeves, Bob Mortimer. You don't know who Bob Mortimer is? No, you, you're going you're gonna to be, gonna be <laughs> oh teaching me some of Ian Matt, yeah. You need to Google Bob Moore. Okay. <laughs> Chris Rea, the singer Chris Rea from the 80s. No, oh, my I'm God. Terrib- I'm terrible. You need to Google all these people. They're very famous people. I, the singer James I, Arthur, surely you've heard oh, of James Oh, so I was literally going to say, because he, he's from Saltburn. Yes, yes, yeah. James Arthur from Saltburn. <laughs> yeah. Here's one. Now, if... Honest to God, if you tell me you've never heard of this, I'm just I'm going to cut you out of this meeting entirely. <laughs> One of the most famous Middlesbrough people ever, magician Paul Daniels. Oh no! No! <laughs> I don't know. I thought How you were going to say not know Paul Daniels. I thought you were going to say um, was it what's his name? Roy. I thought you were going to say him, Roy Chubby Brown. Chubby Brown's from... another, yes. Chubby yeah. Brown. I wasn't going to say that one, a bit controversial, but yeah, Chubby Brown, obviously, there's another name from my youth. What about uh, Wendy Richards from EastEnders? She was uh, she was obviously very famous. I think she's died now, though, unfortunately. And um, talk sport guy, Chris Chris uh, Manamara, Manamara, sorry, Mamara, Chris Mamara. Oh, Maybe yeah, I recognise that name, yeah. yeah. I oh, my God, mate, mate, your culture for Middlesbrough is fucking <laughs> shocking. <laughs> How can you not know Paul Daniels? I don't know. I like. I, I just... Hang your head I, in shame. I, I'm so, <laughs> I'm, for people of Middlesbrough, I am sorry. <laughs> Did you know Smokey Robinson says that um, there's a there's an hotel called the Wynyard Hall in Middlesbrough. He says it's the best hotel he's been in ever. That's another. That's another Middlesbrough fact for you as well. I think. I think that the. That, I think that's the hotel that's outside the. Uh, the car house. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Smoky. <laughs> it was like a, there was like a tour in the sixties, like the Supremes, uh, Smokey Robinson. There are loads of like Motown singers and things like that. But yeah, there's there's a bit of culture. Thank me later for that, Liam. I, I, I'm Make sure honestly, you do some Googling on Paul Daniels. That is horrific. You've taught me a lot there. You've taught me a lot. <laughs> Listen, mate, we do have to end it there. Again, it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure. Absolutely loved having you on. Cannot wait for everybody to grab this release. The yes. Dissonant Artillery EP is out on Dirtbox Recordings. Go and grab it now. Liam, cheers, mate. Enjoy the yes. rest of your day. You too as well, Lee. Thanks for having me on, mate. <laughs>